Hello, and welcome to the TLT Scale Up Insights series of podcasts with me, Nina Searle, and my co-host, Andrew Jennings. Andrew and I are partners in the fast growth team here at TLT. We are a cross-jurisdictional UK team, helping rapidly scaling businesses to manage the legal challenges that come with growth. In each episode, we'll dive into key topics that you're going to be thinking about as you grow your business and what you really need to know from a legal perspective. We share our insights and advice on the issues that clients bring to us on a daily basis and discuss them with experts, both from inside and outside the firm, drawing on their experience and the advice that they have found most valuable. We aim to work with our clients throughout their journey, supporting them from scale to sale. So whatever your business goals, this series will give you the insights you need to help you stay on course and achieve them. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you have any questions about anything we discuss in the show, please do get in touch at scaleupinsights at tltsolicitors.com. Today, we're going to be talking about one of the challenges that many of the scale-up businesses we speak to are facing. They've had a good start, they've grown quickly, and now they're asking themselves the question of how they can incentivize their team to ensure that they stay motivated and engaged as the business expands. So to share her advice on this topic, we're joined by our colleague, Lucy Hedges, who's a specialist in creating effective incentive plans that work for both the employee and the business. So Lucy, once we've recruited our star team, we want to keep them motivated, keep them engaged. I mean, particularly the scale-up businesses I talk to, you know, there's a scrap for talent out there. It's difficult to find the right people with the right qualifications and the right mindset to work in these kind of businesses and to deliver the skills that they really need. And we see lots of scale-ups who haven't necessarily got the sort of the bank balance to retain with cash or with financial incentives. So I guess that's where you come into things, advising companies on what the alternatives are. Do you want to talk a little bit about what you see day to day and and things that you advise clients on? Yeah, definitely. So I think another way to keep a team kind of motivated and engaged apart from a salary perspective is to set up some sort of incentive plan as this often provides employees with a stake in the future success of the company, which can be quite attractive to potential employees. There are a number of different types of incentive plans out there, and these can range from cash-based arrangements to share-based arrangements. But I think for the purposes of today's discussion, I'll primarily focus on the share-based arrangements, just because this type of plan tends to motivate employees' performance on a mid to longer term basis instead of a cash-based arrangement, such as like an annual bonus plan. So although there's a number of different share incentive plans out there, and this can definitely seem a bit overwhelming at first, they can usually be broken down into two basic forms. That is being a plan that provides for an option to acquire shares at some stage in the future versus a plan that provides for the award of shares upfront on for your beneficial terms. When we're talking about shares and shares as an incentive, what we're really talking about is employees' being given the opportunity to own a part of the business, isn't it? To benefit from any ultimate sale of the business by having some form of ownership so that they can take some money off the table at that point in the future. So they're incentivized to work hard and to to put in more sort of sweat into the growth of the company because they've got this idea that at the end, they're going to be able to take something away. And that's really why they're so effective, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. It's definitely providing the employees of an opportunity to have a future stake in that company, which is more than just kind of getting an annual salary. From my perspective, seeing you know, how companies and how employees within those companies can really benefit from the incentive schemes can be 
to say, well, I might not be able to get the same level of salary with this slightly smaller company. I would go in for an international company where who will pay me kind of top dollar to work very hard for them. Whereas if I come in at, at, at an early stage in a small company that's looking to scale up, I can work really hard, get paid a good salary, I hope, uh, but perhaps not being top of the market, but knowing that I could have a, a slice of a much bigger pie going forward than it is right now, and then I can work towards that. And therefore there could be a real, I, know, I suppose, financial benefit uh, in the next few years that as all the business work together, they can get real benefit in five years, seven years, 10 years. I suppose it's one of the things that we would want to communicate to our listeners is to say, well, you may not be the biggest company in the world, but if everyone is pulling in the same direction, it can be really powerful for a workforce and to be more than just a salary, or as you say, uh, the right to get a bonus at year end, should they have done really well? Yeah, I agree with that. I think Although some of the smaller tech companies that we see may not be able to offer the biggest salaries on the market, by putting some form of incentive plan in place that can be distinguish them from other companies and it can attract new talent in through the door that are looking to not only get paid a salary, but also have some sort of investment in the company on a longer term basis and yeah, lead that company to an exit event where they can realize that incentive arrangement at that point in time. Yeah, definitely. And there can be, there's something really powerful for employees to know that they have an ownership stake in a business and to know that, you know, that, that decisions that are being made and work that is being done now can ultimately be for their benefit, you know, further down the line, which can be transformational in terms of people's thinking as well, that mm-hmm. it's not just sort of short termism, but also that, you know, we're, we're all in this together. Of the different types of incentive scheme, then Lucy, like, Am I right in thinking there are quite a few that people could look at and and are there any tax benefits from any of these share schemes? Yes, yeah, so there's a range of different types of schemes out there. A lot of the popular kind of government-sponsored tax advantage share option plans, or one of the most popular is called an Enterprise Management Incentive Plan, commonly known as EMI, and that provides great tax advantages. And companies have to meet a range of qualifying conditions in order to be eligible to have such a plan. But if they do meet these conditions, that's what we commonly find companies will go for just because it provides the best tax advantages out there. What sort of things would we be talking about in terms of those advantages? So in short, what happens if there is an EMI plan put in place? Someone will be granted an option to acquire shares at a certain point in time. Quite often that will be on an exit event of the company. And what happens is on the grant of that option to that individual, they don't have to pay anything upfront. That's free. It's just a right to acquire shares at some point in the future. Quite often, there are terms and conditions applied to that. So, for example, the employee has to remain in employment for that period of time. So, again, that's a great way of keeping those employees retained because they're working towards something. And if they leave, then they lose the benefit of that option. What happens then, say, if, for example, there is an exit-only plan, which means that the person can exercise their option and acquire those shares on an exit event. At that point, if it was an unapproved option, tax would then become payable. But because it's an EMI option, there is no tax payable at the point of exit on that exercise. There's no income tax or NIC. It's kind of a tax neutral. However, when they then come to sell those shares, any gain they've made is subject to capital gains tax. 
at a rate of 20%. Although another great thing about EMI options is that they can often be eligible for entrepreneur's relief, which again reduces that tax rate down to 10%. To be eligible for that, there's a number of conditions, but one of which is they have to have held the option grant for at least two years before they exercise. So that's one of the biggest tax advantages, I think, of EMI is that you are subject to a capital gains tax rate of potentially 10% rather than income tax NICs at a rate of 45%. So that's where we commonly see them used by a lot of startup companies. You can definitely see the attraction there. And it's right to say, isn't it, that the price that an employee will have to pay for their shares is set at the point that the options are granted. So if they're granted you know, today, tomorrow, at the current sort of price per share that the company's worth now and that the revenue agrees is is a fair price for those shares. And then when you get to the point of exit, even though one hopes that the value of the company and therefore of those shares has increased hugely in that time, or at least a little bit, but the employee still only has to pay the price that was set at the point they were issued the option. So they buy them for less than they're worth without any adverse tax consequences. Yes, that's right. So what would normally happen is we would submit a valuation to the revenue to agree the price of those shares as at the grant date. And that what you're hoping is going to be a lot lower price than in say five years time when they come to an exit event and they can exercise those shares and get them for that exercise price. Say if it's a pound, but the shares are actually worth five pounds when it comes to exit, they're able to acquire those shares at a much lower cost. So again, that's a huge attraction point with an EMI plan. Absolutely. And and I think it's worth pointing out that if for any reason it hasn't gone to plan and the future doesn't turn out to have been as bright as was initially hoped, there's no obligation on the employees to exercise those options. So it's a it's a no-lose situation for the employees, although obviously to the employer there's the cost of putting in the scheme, but in the scheme of things that's relatively negligible. So it's not a risk here for the employee or the employer as long as the scheme's implemented <coughs> properly. Yes, that's right. There's no commitment on them to have to pay out that price on an exit. It's up to them to decide whether they want to exercise and acquire any shares in the company. And I think that's why a share option scheme can be more attractive than sort of a share plan giving you shares up front. Because if you're doing that quite often, the employee then has to agree to pay for those shares up front. And actually, they might be thinking, well, I'm not sure at this stage, is the company going to be worth anything in five years time? So that's why a share option tends to be the more attractive option. And of course, the employee might not have the cash in their pocket at the present time, whereas at the point of exit, they're getting £4 net, but they're not actually having to put the pound in because usually it just washes out through the process of the sale. Yeah, that's right. Right. And it seems that with the number of of schemes that we've discussed and the impact on you you mentioned with being unapproved and being approved, am I right in thinking with so many moving parts that a lot can go wrong? Have you seen anything go wrong when dealing with share schemes? Well, thankfully, I've not actually encountered too many kind of horror stories about badly run incentive schemes, but there's definitely been a few occasions where I've encountered some issues, mainly when being asked to kind of do due diligence on a buyer client in respect of a company being sold. One of those examples is actually um, for it to be an eligible EMI option, you have to notify HMRC of the grant of that EMI option within 92 days. And if you forget to do that, then that's it. That EMI option is non-qualifying. And although there are some occasions where we can work with HMRC to rectify the issue, it is a real shame when you see 
on a due diligence that that's the one thing that they've perhaps failed to do yet everything else is fine so there's definitely quite a few pitfalls which can be easily missed I think by companies and it can have disastrous consequences especially for their company's employees who expect to find you know they've got some sort of tax advantage plan and actually it comes to exit and the company's having to present a completely different message to the one that employees were expecting. Yeah. Well, the difference between 45% tax and 10% tax is significant, isn't it? And if the company's being sold for many millions of pounds, then that's a serious hit. Definitely. So I think it's always right to take legal advice and get this sorted from the outset, really, to avoid any future problems later down the line. And having seen instances where in the case of a sale, founders perhaps feeling that they were too generous in the share schemes and to think, well, actually, if I had have modeled out what where the percentages would land and when we granted options maybe 10 years previous, we might not have made the same decision. So I think it is important for founders and for people in charge of companies to consider how it will look in the future and to think about exactly where they want it to end up because there is... Uh, you, I suppose for a founder, if they think I'm adding all this value to the business and being, uh, in a sense, over generous with employees who aren't maybe driving growth in the same way, may not be what they had intended. So they do need to think about exactly how they want to, it to end up. Yeah, I think that's something that companies should be thinking about from the very start, especially founders, actually how much percentage of their company do they want to put under option and that's definitely a crucial thing to be thinking about because like you say they don't want to put too much under option and find when it comes to exit that they've diluted their company by more than they were expecting so it's definitely something to be thinking about right from the very start before implementing a share incentive plan. I think that's right and Andrew we commonly see working on investments in companies often investors are pretty insistent that an employee incentivization scheme of some kind is put into place because investors want to see the employees motivated as well for growth. And often investors will be asking for about a 10% of the fully diluted share capital to be put aside for options, albeit that those options don't need to be granted now, but that's kind of the figure that's often used that it needs to be 10% of the fully diluted share capital which means the share capital after you've taken into account all the options that have been granted and any other rights to acquire shares so I think if you start off with that number in mind as you've said then you realize that you know although 5% doesn't sound like very much to be offering someone who you think is key the people who are key at the outset their significance to the business will be diluted as the business grows But if you've already given away half of the option pool, that's tricky. That's a tricky one to manage. And it's tricky to then incentivize future key hires in the same way because you can only give them tiny proportions. So really just bringing it full circle back to what you were saying, Andrew, I couldn't agree more. And I think it's something not only for scale-ups to be thinking about in terms of employee retention and incentivization, but also to be thinking about on their investment journey as well. And Lucy, just moving forward to to practicalities, people listening think that perhaps they ought to find out a little bit more or or that they actually they do want to go ahead and implement a scheme. What is the best way to go about doing that? Well, I think the best way for kind of a growing business to go about establishing and implementing a plan would be for them to think about exactly who they're trying to incentivize and why they're trying to incentivize them. 
they should be thinking about what their ultimate goal is. You know, for example, is it to lead the company to an exit event? And whether they're prepared for employees to acquire those shares from the outset or not, because clearly that will show the way of either going down the share plan straightforward route or the share option plan route. And if they are prepared for employees to acquire shares from the outset, they should think about, as we've been discussing, kind of what percentage of share capital they're willing to place under option. Um, Sorry, and I should just point out, um, I know you mentioned the 10% limit. And although a unlisted company can put more percentage of share capital under that limit, if they're looking to list at a stage in the future, then listed companies do actually have a restriction of 10% on the amount of shares they can put subject to an employee share option scheme. So I think that's just something that kind of scale up businesses should be thinking about. Yeah, and I think as corporate lawyers, we'd also be recommending that founders look at their shareholders agreement and articles of association, because if employees are coming in as shareholders, you'll need to be engaging with them in a very different way going forward than if they were just employees. You'll also want to think about how you get those shares back from them in the event that they leave the company, because the whole point is that they stay for the journey to get that value. I mean, that's probably the subject of a whole nother podcast, but I think we need to just pick that up while we're on the subject. Lucy, I think one of the things that you said there was really quite powerful about for founders to be thinking about who they are incentivizing and why they're doing it. And I think there is really something in that for people to take a step back and say, why are we doing this? What is our goal in doing this? And and how is this going to look in sort of three, five, seven years? Especially if, as Nina said, if if investors have come in and said, we expect you to put 5%, 10% into a pot here for employees, it is in danger of becoming just a tick box. I've been told I need to do this, therefore I must do it. Whereas in reality, to take that step back and to look and say, well, actually, this is why we want to do that. And having seen it play out, I suppose, do you have any examples of when share incentive plans have gone well and how they have worked for the benefit of the employees and for the company? Yeah, so I think it's important for not just the founders to be thinking about why they want to do it and who, but also if they're going to do it, communicate it properly to their employees. So it's not just a tick box exercise so that the employees actually understand that they're really getting a benefit here and not all companies do this. So in in terms of an example that springs to mind, worked with a company recently where they put in place a share option plan for their employees. And the reason I think this really worked was mainly because they communicated the plan so well to their employees. In this particular case, their employees actually came to our Bristol office and we held an award presentation for them. And the managers are there, the private equity investors were there. The employees were given the opportunity to ask us questions to understand exactly how their share options worked. We then had a bit of a photo shoot as well and then went out for a celebratory dinner with them. And I think the reason why this worked so well is because the employees really had a clear understanding of how their incentive award worked and that by working to increase the value of the company, this would ultimately increase the value of their award. And I've certainly seen the flip side where I know people who've been awarded share options and have said to me, what's this? what's the point of this? What does this mean? <laughs> and so, you know, the company's potentially given away a bit of equity there, the founder's given away equity and the people I know don't even know what it is. It doesn't really mean anything to them and it's not acting as an incentive. So I think that's right. It's all about communication and the right time. So Lucy, we've talked quite a lot now about incentives and incentivizing employees, but if there's one key takeaway piece of advice for our listeners today around incentives, what would it be? 
think really as, as previously mentioned I think it is all about employee communication I think that's really is key for both the company and the employee to get the most out of their incentive arrangements the benefits of such a plan should be clearly communicated to employees so that they're able to understand exactly what's being offered to them and this should help them keep motivated and engaged but also help make them to feel like a valued member of the business great thank you very much lucy some good food for thought there Thanks for listening to this episode of the Scale Up Insight podcast. If you have any questions about anything we discussed in the show, please get in touch at scaleupinsights at trtsolicitors.com. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please rate us and leave us a review on your podcast app. It means that more people can find us and take a listen. The information in this podcast is for general guidance and represents our understanding of the relevant law and practice at the time of recording. We recommend you seek advice in specific cases. Please visit our website for our full terms and conditions.